Good morning. Today's word is um, from Galatians 3, 19 through 26. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary applies, implies more than one word, more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now the faith that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Today we're going to tackle kind of a challenging theme of the law and parenting. I want to begin with just a little bit of my journey in life. Uh, when I was five years old, my parents divorced and my mother married a guy who was obviously my stepdad for many years, really my dad. He taught me a lot of things, but one thing uh, he taught me was because he'd grown up in the Depression, his father broke his back, and he had to support a family of like about seven siblings and mother and broken, sick father. That hard work was what mattered in life, and he taught me to work hard. Uh, and if I didn't work hard, I didn't get his approval, I didn't get his favor, I didn't get his blessing, I didn't get anything but his anger. And I, I think it's just indicative of the world we live in to a degree. I, I think, and I use this term maybe loosely, we live in a utilitarian or a performance-oriented world, world. Everything about our lives, to one degree or another, is impacted by how others view us or think about us and how we perform, how we accomplish those things we're called to do. You know, when I, I went off to school, I learned that I needed to get good grades if I was going to do well in life. And, and I learned if I was going to be able to be chosen to play sports, I needed to run well, kick a ball well, do, do all that stuff. And, and so, so much of it was about my performance. And uh, that's just what life was like. I went on to college, and again, the job you get in life oftentimes is indicated by how well you do in college. The jobs you get, the, perform or the, the promotions, the advancements financially are often very much about your performance. So, so that's the background that we all come to parenting with. We live in a world that's fallen, but it's very works or performance-oriented. I don't know about you and how you've wrestled through this issue in your life. Maybe you've struggled like I have. Maybe uh, you excelled at life and everything fell into place and you were the best athlete and the best looking person and, and, and the best student and everything just worked. Or maybe you weren't. Maybe you struggled in all of those areas and, and you uh, felt uh, not accepted. You felt abandoned and, and even uh, forgotten. That's kind of the, the world we live in. And uh, it's out of that world that we learn to parent. We parent often the way we're raised. We take... Uh, those lessons, those things that are, uh, we experienced, and those become the basis to a degree of how we parent. So uh, today, we're, we're going to look deeply in the Word of God, I hope, to discover the, the truth about how God parented us and, and how we're called to parent our kids. And this very much relates to the law. 
and the Old Testament. So uh, we're going to look at this through the background of uh, some verses that Paul wrote in the, in the letter to Galatia. I don't know if you remember the church of Galatia, but they'd come to faith through Paul's preaching and through his uh, outreach, but then they were turning back, sort of like uh, uh, sometimes happens, they were turning back to the law to gain acceptance and favor with God. And, and so somehow or another, the worldly influence in their lives was more important than the gospel maybe to them. I, I don't know all the ins and outs of that, but there were among them many works-oriented Judaizers, people who came out of Judaism to believe in Jesus, but they didn't come completely out. They still said you had to keep the law. So there's that kind of confusion behind this. And that's the subject Paul is addressing when uh, we open the passage today in Galatians chapter 3. But let me give you a little background. Uh, these Judaizers came out of Judaism, and <clears throat> they didn't come all the way out, uh, unfortunately, but behind uh, the law in their minds was uh, what we see in uh, Exodus chapter 19. There the law was given. You remember how it was given? It was given with all the smoke and fire that Hollywood could ever envision. Uh, there was lightning, there was thunder, there was people scared to death before God. Moses himself, even in uh, Hebrews 12, 21, talks about the fact that he was shaking in his sandals when God spoke over this mountain in the, in the flames and in the fire. And, and so that impressed the Jews. They thought that was a big deal. But Paul looked beyond that to the depth of God's working in Abraham's life uh, in respect to how everything unfolded with regard to the law. Earlier in this passage, he says in Galatians 3.17, the law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul the covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. So what he's going to argue here and help us, I hope, understand is the difference between the law and the covenant. The law was given on the mount, and uh, the covenant was given to Abraham. Uh, Paul writes two things that uh, support the reality that the covenant was much greater than the law. The first is that he says in the text that the law was temporary, or it, it was given until, and I don't like that word temporary, I've struggled with that all week. I, I think a better word was limited. The law was limited in what it could do, and we'll talk more about that, but but. What was not limited was the covenant God made with Abraham because it wasn't dependent on anything but God. And so Paul argues the covenant is the greater because it depended only on God's promises and God never fails his promise. We all know that. But the covenant, on the other hand, came to man and was conditioned on man's obedience. And it uh, never accomplished, uh, it couldn't accomplish uh, the righteousness and, and uh, the salvation that could only come through the promise. So this is what Paul says. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring, that is Christ, should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put into place through angels by an intermediary. Now the intermedi intermediary implies more than one. But God is one. So the first argument is the covenant because God gave it personally. It depended only on his promise to Abraham was greater than the law, which was conditioned on our obedience. Because you all know, I know, at least I know, I can't keep the law. I'll fail every time. And so that's why it couldn't annul the covenant. It's why it couldn't replace the covenant, even though it came later. So he says it was put in place until it was limited until 
Jesus came. And that's what's in view here. Remember what Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4 says. This is the heart of the gospel and and what Paul uh, obviously had written to the Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, that's us, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to flesh but according to spirit. This is the gospel. God did what the law couldn't do through Christ. And so Paul's first point is the law was only temporary. The covenant was permanent forever. It was based on God's promise. The second thing he says, or the second argument he makes, is that the law came just through one person, excuse me, the covenant came through one person, came from God to Abraham. The law, on the other hand, came through three, uh, an intermediary and then Moses. And and he says, uh, you know, that about the law. Now an intermediary implies more than one. So what he's talking about is in, in, in the Old Testament, it was understood that the law came by angels to Moses and then to the Jews. Paul relates that to us here, but uh, alongside this, we see this in Stephen's great testimony in the book of Acts in chapter 7. There he writes, who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So uh, in the Old Testament mind, though it isn't mentioned in Exodus, it was believed by the Jews that the law came from God to an angel and then to Moses, or to angels, it's plural, and then to Moses. So a second reason that he discredits the law as being greater than the covenant. And so, so the question we need to address is, why then the law? And that's exactly what was on the minds of these Judaizers, these Jews that were trying to come into the Christian church. And, and the issue for them was understanding, you could almost hear him scream out at Paul, is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Does the law in some way negate God or what God is doing? And Paul says, certainly not in the strongest possible term. Certainly not. He he could literally be screaming that to them. Certainly not. The law could not, could not uh, in any way uh, overcome the covenant. Uh, Was it contrary to the promise of God? What Paul had come to understand uh, was that the law was complementary to the gospel. And we'll talk more about that. It cooperates with the gospel. What we need to understand is how does it cooperate with the gospel? That's the key. And that's what's important for parenting. Paul writes, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would have, what, indeed been by the law. And it couldn't. The the law couldn't save anybody. The law couldn't change our flesh. When you drive by stops or speed limit signs that say 60 and you look at your speedometer, you're doing 75, it can't slow you down. It doesn't jump in your car and take your foot off the gas feed. Doesn't do that. But it does let you know you've just broken the law or you are breaking the law. That's all the law could do is to show us that we're law breakers. Paul writes this in in the second half of 21. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. You know, uh, what did the law come to do? It came to do one, point out our sinfulness. Through the law, we realize that we cannot obey God completely, perfectly, and, and all the time. We will fail. I'm a broken, broken sinner. 
I have pride that I battle. I have uh, tons of shortcomings. We could take, take the rest of the morning just to talk about those. It, it wouldn't be edifying, trust me. Uh, <clears throat> but the idea here is the law shows us our sin. The law also shows us the righteousness and the glory of God. And, and that's what's behind the law, and we need to understand that the law reveals to us the perfection, the attributes, and the glory of God. But it also shows us our failures. So if we really had to nail it down, what does the law do? It's been given to restrain transgressions. It was limited. It helped Israel know when they did things wrong. It helped them to know that their behavior displeased God. It helped them to recognize what was wrong and maybe even at times to turn away from it, to restrain or refrain from it. But it couldn't give life. That life Paul wrote earlier comes in Galatians 2.21. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be obtained by the law, Jesus died for nothing. That's one of, the, it's one of my favorite verses in the scripture. It isn't by law keeping. Jesus died. If it was by law keeping, Jesus didn't need to die. That was Paul's point as he wrote about these things. So the scripture we read in verse 22, imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, let's talk about the law. The law wasn't a bad thing. It was holy. It was good. It was righteous. Romans seven twelve says, the law shows the sinner his guilt. Uh, excuse me. Uh, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. That's, that's God's declaration about the law. It's good. It's holy. But it's limited. It can't give life. Later on, it says in Romans 3.20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's the purpose of the law, to help us understand we're sinful and we need a Savior. It can't change us. It can't make us better. It can restrain evil to a degree. It can restrain sinfulness. It can help us recognize, though, that we are sinful. Understand there's a lawful use of the law and an unlawful use of the law. 1 Timothy 1.8 says this, Now we know that the law is good. If no one, excuse me, if one uses it lawfully, the law is good if it's used lawfully. Understand this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. So here it is. It was given to reveal sin, to show our shortcomings, our failures, our weakness. An unlawful use of the law is to take it as some way by trying to keep it. We can appease God. We can gain favor or merit with God. It just doesn't work that way. And so we need to understand that that is the limitation of the law. All it can do is show us our sin. By keeping it, we can never be righteous with God because we can't keep it. You know, if you come across somebody who claims to be a believer and say, well, I obey the Ten Commandments, you know right up front they don't understand the Bible. They don't understand the law. If you're here today and you believe in some way that you're being made right by God through law keeping, let me just give you a quick test. Have you ever not, have you ever dishonored your parents? Raise your hand in this audience if you have never dishonored your parents. Okay, we're all sinners. Have you ever wanted something that you didn't possess that your neighbor had? His car, his Ferrari, his, his uh, Corvette. Every, every time I see a Corvette go down the street, I covet it. How many, how many have never coveted? Raise your hand. That yeah, we're all sinners. And that's what the law shows us. 
that we're sinful. We need more than the law can provide. Paul goes on to unfold for us a bit more, one last point, and it really relates to parenting. He says in verse 23 through 26, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. The point he's making here is that the law God gave to Israel in its limited power to be a guardian to them, to show their weakness, their failures, their need for a savior, their need for his provision. Uh, It regulated to a degree, to the degree that they could obey the law of their lives before Jesus came. Uh, It prepared them for the coming of Jesus through the recognition of their own failure and weakness. That's all it could do. The idea of a a, a child tutor here is what's in view, a guardian. Uh, They would teach the kids. They would take them to school. Sometimes they would discipline. That's what the law did. The law didn't give life. It just stewarded their life in a limited way. Now, let me stop for a minute and say, that doesn't make the law not good. The law was good. It was filled with God's grace. When when someone sinned, did the law provide a way to seek forgiveness from God? Absolutely. But it was costly. If you were a a goat herder or a sheep herder or or raised cattle, you had to take what? Your best lamb, your best bull, and you took that to pay for your sin. And it was slaughtered. And with the shedding of its blood, your sin was paid for. And that was a huge demonstration and learning opportunity for Israel to see the awfulness of their sin. Our sin is awful. It's horrible. It doesn't mean we're sinners. It means we're saints who now sin. We're saved by grace. So, so we're free. And we'll talk about the gospel in a moment. But that's all the law could do. And the reality is, is that uh, all of this Uh, was provided through the law. The law could not change the promise. The law was not greater than the promise. And the law was not contrary to the promise. Remember those things. I was reading recently, and one of my favorite authors raised this question, well, why did God allow... uh, Israel to live with the law so long before bringing Jesus? I mean, you know, before, before Moses even got down from the mountain, what did they do? They committed idolatry. They took their gold and made a calf and started worshiping it. They didn't make it but a few days without sinning against God. So why did God allow that? This author says two things. He thinks, number one, the law shows us the awfulness of our sin. Read the Old Testament. You don't see awful sin. It's there. Look at my life and you'll see awful sin. So it shows us the awfulness, the horror of sin. What else does it do? It shows us, secondly, he says, that no matter how hard we work, how righteous or prideful we become, we can't save ourselves. Israel tried over and over and over again, and they never were able to save themselves. That's what the law was unable to do, to show them uh, or or to save them. It could just show them they needed a Savior and that, uh, yeah, they couldn't do it without God. So let's talk about parenting. Uh, what can we learn about parenting is, is I kind of processed all this stuff. The first thing I, I've learned is, is if you've been uh, kind of uh, influenced uh, in some way uh, by 
works performance in your life. People accept you because of what you do. You, you've built up idols because of that. You've, you've beat yourself up because you don't measure up, etc. If that's kind of your view of life, it all needs to change to parent well. And, and what, what God has done with the law, and I, I want you to think of all of this as, as immersed in love. God has immersed the, this entire process of parenting in love. He parents us like I believe we're to parent our children. He takes us he gives us the law and shows us through the law what? Our sin, our failure, our weakness. So that what? We might turn to Him. Confess that. Believe in the provision of His Son through the grace of the gospel. All immersed in love. So law leads us to our understanding of our deep need for Jesus. And Jesus brings to the place where we're blessed beyond anything we can comprehend or understand. So that's how God's parented us. But when parenting our children, I I think it follows the same kind of pattern. You know, I told Jolene this morning, maybe this is kind of the magic formula. I don't know. Uh, You'll have to decide on that. But think about this. If you allow the law of God before a child can come to the age of belief to inform and guide and lead you in the limits and guidelines you put in your home for that child, You are reflecting to them the righteousness, holiness of God. And as they fail, and they will prepare, plan, get ready for this, they will disobey you. They will fail to do the things that you set up for them to do. They may even rebel. But what do you do? You don't beat them over the head. What do you do? You forgive them. You show them grace and mercy through the gospel. You point them again and again and again to Jesus and all that he's done for us. What breaks us of the flesh and what empowers us to put the flesh to death is the power of the gospel in our lives. And so our process in parenting bathed in love is to show the law of God through the limits and and the guidelines of parenting, but also to, to show our kids we fail, we stumble, we fall. Confess that in appropriate ways to your kids and, and teach them that they too will fail. They will fall. They will stumble. They will displease. But there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's mercy. So with all that in mind, I want to spend a few minutes on this whole idea of of the the gospel. You know, the law can only do so much. It's limited. But the gospel can do all things. And and so let's turn just for a moment into Ephesians and spend some time taking a look at uh, what Paul writes there in the first uh, 13 or so verses of Ephesians. Uh, He starts off with this incredible statement in verse 3 about the blessing he pours out on his people. And uh, every every pronoun in this passage is plural. Every verb, well, except a a couple, are are what we call aorist. And what an aorist verb does is it it describes completed work with forever results. So every one of these blessings we're going to talk about here in a moment are a completed work by Christ with results that last forever. And that's important. And then notice also, as I read these passages, everyone, almost everyone says, in Christ. Because of the beloved, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's all the result that by faith, we've been welcomed into an ongoing eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. So here we go. We have all spiritual blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with 
bless all of us in Christ who are in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So this is kind of the opening statement. Everything that follows this, all nine of them that I'm going to quickly give to you are the blessings that he describes. We have every blessing. He says a couple things about them, their scope. It's everything we need, every spiritual blessing we need to live this life God provides for us in Christ. Everything I need to be a faithful a follower of, of, of the Father, to, to honor Him, glorify Him, to serve Him, I have. I have every blessing. And it also says uh, that these are in heavenly places. That's the sphere in which they work. The idea here is, is that we, we live in two realms, literally, as believers. We live in a fallen world, but we also are seated with Christ in heaven. We're already there with Him. And, and the idea is to gain our strength and our power and our understanding of who we are in our lives and how to serve and how to love and how to follow God and then bring that down to this planet in the physical world and live it that way. And that's what we want to share with our kids. That's those same truths. But understand we have this enormous uh, set of blessings that are ours. So let's take a look. at. Let me share one thing. I'm running a little ahead of time here. Uh, the evangelist D.L. Moody a number of years ago said this. He said uh, <clears throat> his great fear was that uh, many people were so heavenly minded they were no earthly good. Okay. My fear today is that we're so earthly minded we're no heavenly good. Think about that. We need to just be immersed in these truths that I'm going to share with you now. First one, he's chosen us even as he chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God chose us. It was his act before creation. He chose you. If you're a genuine believer and follower in Christ, you were chosen. I don't have time to get into election and, and talk about it all. I'll share a quote that I didn't share. You get, you get something the first service didn't go. I love this quote. It's by a seminary prof. He said this, try to explain election and you may lose your mind. Try to explain it away and you may lose your soul. That's the power of election. Understand it's a hard concept. We don't have time to get to that today, but God chose us. It isn't based on what we did. He chose us before the beginning of time. Not our works, His work. Based on His mercy and His grace and His love and His forgiveness. I don't understand it, but it's a doctrine that I humble myself before the living God and say, God, I don't understand it all, but I, your word says it, so I believe it. Your word teaches it, so I will follow it to the best that I know. For the purpose of being holy and blameless, set apart for him. That's what God wants for us. Secondly, he says, he's adopted us in love. He predestined, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus. In the son, according to the purpose of his will. So in Christ, we also have what? We have adoption. Now we're not, we don't become sons of God through adoption. We become sons of God through regeneration. Adoption is the gift God gives us, the blessing he pours out on our life that lets us take full advantage of every blessing we have in Christ. We're legal adults in the kingdom of God. We are his adopted children. The text goes on to talk about other things. It says in verse 7a, he has redeemed us in Him. We have redemption through His blood. The idea here in the ancient world, there was 600 or 60 million slaves in Rome, I read. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but for a slave, 
he was in bondage. He was in captive to his master and slave. Sin is our master. He's our, our slave master. It, it guides us. It overwhelms us at times. And, and what Paul is saying here is we've been freed from that. Christ through his shed blood brought us freedom. We're free from the penalty of sin. We're free from the power of sin. We're free from eventually when we go to be with him, the presence of sin. That's what this whole idea of redemption has done for us. We're redeemed. We need to remember that and live that out. Once we understand redemption and and that it depends totally on him, we'll never try to save ourselves again. He goes on to say, uh, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In his grace, we have forgiveness. I fail, but when I confess that, I'm forgiven. His promise is if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and what? Purify us from all unrighteousness. If you sin repeating the same thing, don't beat yourself up. The moment you confess it, you are righteous in his sight. All confession is is agreeing with God. The term homolekao simply means that you agree with God. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. It's like this headset. The idea is just confessing that to God. And he's what? He's just because of the blood of Christ to forgive you. And in his redemption, we are free from the penalty and power of the presence of it. It also says, uh, and again, this never ends. He's revealed his will to us. Read with me verses 8 through 10. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite. This is the important part. To unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. We live in a chaotic world. It's a mess. Uh, It's awful. The things people do and are doing. The things I do. All that's going to come to conformity under Christ. He will rule over all. That's the mystery. God is revealing. We're, we're privileged to know that. That's God's plan, that all things will be brought to harmony in Him. And lastly, or not lastly, but we also have an inheritance in Him. It says uh, this in verses 11 and 12. In Him we have, been, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will so that we, we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. I don't know what it means to be a joint heir with Christ, but I know I am one, and I think it's good to be his joint heir. Whatever he's got, we share in that. It'll never be taken away. It'll never be disputed. No, you'll never have to go to court to argue about your part of it. It's done. It's in Christ, and it is guaranteed to you. So whatever it is, whether we rule with him Uh, Whatever it is, we will share equally with Christ. I don't understand that. It's beyond my feeble mind to to grasp that. It goes on to say, also, we're sealed in him. In him, you also, when you heard, and this is really the process of salvation, when you heard the word of truth, that's the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, that's Christ, You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This is the process. We hear, we understand the gospel. If you're here today and you don't understand, come grab me after. I'll stay till midnight to talk with you about these things. The the reality is we have to understand the gospel. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I need need something to fix that, someone to fix that. And that someone is Jesus. 
That is, uh, and, and once that happens, he seals us with the Holy Spirit. The, the idea is he, he comes to put his ownership on us. He comes to give the Spirit to us as a guarantee of the completion of his work in us. Now, we're still going to grow, we hope, in our salvation, not in our salvation, but in our sanctification, our knowledge of him, our ability to serve him. But we're sealed, we're secure in that, we're owned by him. And lastly, it's all guaranteed. Through the Spirit, He is an earnest or a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. It's guaranteed, folks, on the finished work of Christ. When Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished, what is He saying? He's saying everything that needs to be done has been done to grant you these nine, and there's many, many more, these nine incredible blessings. Everything else we need in Christ is done. It's guaranteed. And the law points us to an understanding of that, that I need it. I'm broken. I can't do it on my own. I need Jesus. That's the gospel. So as we leave today, I just want to encourage you to think about these things as you, as you think about your own life and about your kids. How, how much is this performance-oriented, this utilitarian world we live in, shaped and influenced how you view yourself? I get really excited when somebody tells me, boy, you did a really good job. Man, oh, I live for that. Do you do that? We don't need that. God loves us as we are. We're fully accepted in him. It's done. It's nice to hear that once in a while, but we shouldn't have to live for that. That isn't our identity. That isn't our hope. Uh, The reality is, is that influencing your life in any way? And if it's influencing your life, I'm fearful that it may be influencing your kids. Are, are you looking at them? Are you attended, do you have a tendency to, to evaluate them, to love them, to accept them based on how well they perform, how, how well they meet your expectations, how well they make you look? Those are things to be concerned about, to pray about, and to ask God, show me, show me Lord, how to, to parent my child by, by showing them your glory in the law, by helping me to establish limits, guidelines in my home so that when they break them I can show them the forgiveness and the mercy of God in Christ and show them all the blessings that are theirs am I living out those things in my home that that I'm chosen I'm redeemed I'm forgiven I'm uh, I'm adopted all of those things I pray to God would be manifest with relish and joy and gladness in our homes and, and impact our kids and our families parenting The law should inform how we set limits and guidelines. And the gospel should open the door to share the message of Jesus and and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of God all bathed in the love of God. They cooperate. They work together just as God designed them to do in the Old and New Testament. So may we understand that. May we cherish those things. May, May our lives be deeply impacted by these truths that are central about not just the law and the glory of God revealed in it, but also the wonder of Christ in the gospel. We have every spiritual blessing. We're chosen. We're accepted. We're adopted. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. We know the mystery that he's going to bring everything under Jesus. Jesus. We have an inheritance. We're sealed and guaranteed all of these truths. That's what we have. In Christ. The law brings us to the understanding of of the sublimeness, the the grandeur, the greatness of that gift. Because I'm bankrupt without it. So so that's that's hopefully 
helpful in understanding this, this thing we call parenting. This morning, we have an opportunity to come to the table and share the bread and the cup together. As I was thinking about this, it, it just thought, you know, the, the key phrase in what Jesus, or what Paul said Jesus said in the upper room was, remember me as you eat the bread, as you drink the cup. Well, what is it we want to remember about Jesus? And I think there's two things. And I want you to ponder this, think about this this morning. The first thing is uh, how awful sin is that it took the holy, glorious Son of God to pay the penalty for it. If you need an image for that, uh, the one I have in my mind is always the, the picture of Jesus on the cross from the uh, Passion of the Christ. I don't know how accurate that was, but it's the awfulest picture that I can come up with in my mind of how horribly Christ suffered. And he did that for my sin, for me. He was there for me. He took all my sin on him, and he died in my place. I want to remember that when we come to this table. As we finish up that, you know, the, the words are, Jesus took the bread, and when he'd given thanks for it, he broke it and said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So I want to remember what he did for me. But I also want to remember that it goes on to say, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup until I return. Pro excuse me. Whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup proclaims the Lord's death until he comes again. Jesus is alive today. He's fulfilled all of this gospel wonder and promise to us. So remember both. There's a law and he, he satisfied that law for us. He took our penalties and died for them at Calvary. And now he reigns and rules and all things will come under his feet one day. So as the Lord leads, come, uh, take the bread, take the cup, and then we'll come together in a moment and share them together. Father, thank you for the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus. Thank you that it reminds us both of our sin and failure and weakness, but also of the glories of your grace and mercy and forgiveness, God. And that you've called us because of that to be your adopted children, belonging to you forever with every spiritual blessing poured out in our lives. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Amen.